Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Man, the worldwide traveler known as Colby Powell, back from Scotland, was hanging out at St. Andrews, no big deal. But uh, Colby, we haven't talked to you since Oklahoma State beat West Virginia, but it's good to have you back on the podcast. It is good to be back on the podcast. It is good to be back in the States uh, after what can only be described as a religious trip to St. Andrews. Um, NBC did it right. The the Rusix Hotel, which sits just off the 18th fairway, is where we were put up. So every morning I walked out onto my balcony and looked over the eighth and first team and ho- the uh, 18th and first holes at the old course and got to walk the old course twice. The Jubilee course was awesome. Everybody was just unbelievably happy to be there. The people who live there are happy to be there. The people who are uh, on vacation there are happy to be there. It was an unbelievable week at the old course in St. Andrews, but happy to be back and happy to be headed to Stillwater tomorrow. Uh, I've just kind of been all over the map. So yeah, it's been a great week, but glad to be home. Yeah, I believe there is a pistols firing tailgate. There's details on the uh, the chamber if you're a PFB Plus member. I think they're arranging uh, a get-together there. I'll, I'll have to forward you the details. Colby, I still don't know if I'm going. I'm still trying to p- procure a ticket or two for my wife, show her how homecoming's really done, considering she's an OU alum. Um, so I, I may or may not be up there. If I am, I'll definitely give you a shout. Does OU have a homecoming? I think it's this week, too. Really? I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Who Good for say? them. Do they do anything or do they just kind of, or do they just show up and you sit down for three and a half quarters? What do they do? Uh, mostly that, but I, I think they do floats. They definitely don't do like house deck type stuff. So Okay. They, so like root beer floats, Coca-Cola floats, those type of things. Yeah. Floating their way through their last year, the big 12 against all these bad football teams. You know, they, yeah. they yeah. floated by UCF last week. They were on uh, them and Texas almost lost last week. Yeah, I saw that. Well, I was following the score on my phone. I couldn't get any American football. I got some NFL, but college football, I couldn't get any of it in Scotland. I tried two different computers, a VPN, a VPS, my phone, different logins. I spent like an hour trying to watch OUS Virginia. I couldn't. Um, I basically watched extended highlights. I scoured the web for every highlight I could find of Oklahoma State, West Virginia, of Ollie Gordon just looking like a, a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's just unbelievable. Um but yeah, I couldn't get any of the games live, so I was disappointed to see that OU did sneak it out against UCF. But yeah, send me the details to that tailgate over. It'll probably depend on whether we have a babysitter. If we do have a babysitter, we can get there early and enjoy the day. If we don't have a babysitter, we'll get there about right before kickoff uh, and won't have time to do any tailgate. But send that over, and if I can make it, I will be there and say uh, hi to a lot of the, the pistols firing crowd. Yeah, I think they're going to have some yingling. I think they hit up our man Todd Robichaux, and uh, they're going to have some yingling at the tailgate. So I uh, encourage everyone to stop by. Uh, and it uh, should be a good good time, as always, up there in Stillwater for homecoming. Just a great week. I mean, if you've never been, you, I encourage you to go up there and see the house decks. It's truly awesome. The weather's kind of cold, but it is what it is. Um, there were plenty of highlights. Oh, real quick, though, did you see Quinn Ewers? is out has a similar type shoulder injury he had last year where he missed three or four weeks. So that, you know, I posted after the the win against West Virginia, a meme of uh kind of crying Barbie and then like happy cowboy Barbie. And I basically said, you know, September bedlam versus November bedlam. Things have drastically changed in terms of how that game 
will look going into it. And now Texas has a beat up. You know, they won't have Quinn Ewers for a few weeks. So it's, dare I say, Big 12 title race is, is back on. Uh, the Big 12 title race is absolutely back on. This team last week proved to me what I needed to see. I needed to see them do it on the road, right? They come back Friday night, crazy atmosphere against Kansas State. You get that one done. The following week, you get Kansas at home, backup quarterback. Uh, you sneak past Kansas in, in a pretty good performance, solid performance. You top 30 for the first time in nearly a year. Now you're going on the road against a West Virginia team that had momentum. I needed to see it on the road. And in, in a big, big way, Oklahoma State got it done. And now with Quinn Ewers out, uh, does that mean Arch is coming in? Is it Arch season in Austin? No, it's uh, Malik Murphy season. I don't think okay. Arch is quite ready. Now, if if Murphy struggles, and I don't think he's that good of a thrower, um, we might be seeing Arch. Yeah, interesting. That would, uh, yeah, that'd be fun for a lot of people to see what Arch Manning looks like down there. Uh, yeah, I, I think the Big 12 title race is absolutely on for Oklahoma State. I think that they're going to roll Cincinnati tomorrow in Stillwater. They have fully earned back my confidence. It, it, it took them four weeks to lose it, and it took them three weeks to get it back. But it is here now, and I am bullish on this team the rest of the way. As long as they stay healthy, they are clicking. And that chemistry that we were talking about there for a couple of weeks, that seems to have have made its way to Stillwater. The tackling's been a lot better. They've worked on that in practice. They're still getting beat over the top. But part of the reason they're getting beat over the top is because they're just not giving up uh, a ton otherwise. So, yeah, I'm, I'm bullish on what Oklahoma State can accomplish the rest of the season because aside from Oklahoma – I, I don't know. Are they going to be favored in every game the rest of the way? I, I pulled my ESPN app earlier, and uh, the first college football story on the ESPN app, how Oklahoma State and Kansas State are two of the hottest teams in the country. All Kansas State has done since they got rolled in Stillwater is beat Texas Tech 38-21 and TCU 41-3. So Oklahoma State is on an even bigger run right now. And, yeah, I, I think Big 12 title game, that is absolutely an aspiration that Oklahoma State fans should be looking at right now. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see if there's tiebreaker scenarios. The lost Iowa State really hurts because Oklahoma beat Iowa State, and I believe Texas beat Iowa State. Uh, don't quote me on that, but there's some there'll be some interesting tiebreaker scenarios should they come to be. But we got a long way to go until that. And I, I think Vegas is a little slow to 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 jump on board. I said last week the wrong team was favored. I thought OSU should have been favored against West Virginia. They won going away, and the biggest reason for that, Colby, is I don't even want to call it the emergence of Ollie Gordon. I want to call it the explosion of, of Ollie Gordon. I mean, I I have gone from questioning why he's not RB1 to questioning, is he the best running back in the country? I mean, is, is there a better running back in the country right now than Ollie Gordon, Colby? Off the top of my head, there's certainly not one playing better right now. Whenever you look at what he did a couple of weeks ago with more than 100 rushing, more than 100 receiving, and then 29 for 282 last week. They don't get him involved through the air. The screen game wasn't there against West Virginia. But 29 for 282, that is disgusting. Four touchdowns, 9.7 per carry. And late in that game, whenever West Virginia needed stops to try to get the ball back and go score and make a game out of it, all it took was one gap and Ollie housed it both times late in the fourth whenever West Virginia needed the ball back he has just become Mr. Everything for Oklahoma State offensively and it's opening up things for other players it's making Alan Bowman's life easier because now defenses are so worried about Ollie Gordon that Alan Bowman can drop back uh what's he complete 67 percent of his passes last week two touchdowns and a pick Brennan Presley is getting much more involved because he has some space to operate because everyone is so worried about Ollie nine for 62 and a touchdown last week 
for Brennan. That's what should be happening offensively for Oklahoma State. And now that Ollie's been unleashed, uh, there's no putting there's no putting that dog back in the cage. And um, 29 for 282. It's just it's unbelievable. I'm happy for him. He stuck it out. Whenever a lot of people thought that he w- he was going to leave after the way that last season ended, he stuck it out, and he is reaping the benefits of that in a major way. And people nationally are starting to take notice. When when you go for almost 300 on the ground and four touchdowns, people start to take notice. And Ollie is getting the credit that he rightfully deserves. And there's been some interesting quotes and and talking points coming out of that from Mike Gundy. And he mentioned that Ollie Gordon basically came to him and said, you know, we're not able to run the football right now, but I guarantee if you give me the ball, we're going to run the ball better. Kind of gave him the the Jimmy Chitwood, you know, give me the ball. I'll make it. And (laughs) Mike always has some interesting explanations for things. Um, he, He basically has said that, that Ollie was too excited, uh, too exuberant and I, and I, what I think what I've kind of you know I've listened to Mike talk now for his entire tenure I covered him was his first year in Stillwater the way I kind of decipher and decode his his quotes about Ollie is one thing he has really shown obviously the speed and the size the elusiveness that that the last touchdown he had where he left that defensive lineman his jock strap hanging behind him he juked him so bad he obviously has shown all of that but more than anything, I think his patience uh, running the football has really helped the offense and really helped him get out and in, into the second level. And I think that's what Mike was is basically talking about. You know, some guys, when they're young, they they hit the hole a little too hard and don't wait for things to develop. And I think his patience, Colby, is perhaps probably the most underrated aspect of what he's shown. Because a lot of those runs, he would kind of wait for the blockers to take their man a certain direction and then and then hit the opposite direction. And I think. That's the one thing I think when Mike's talking about why Ollie maybe wasn't playing earlier in his career, perhaps he's learned a bit of patience because it certainly looks that way when he runs the ball. Yeah, it does. He just, it it seems like he's finding the right hole on every single carry. I mean, you've got to, to go for 282 in that game at West Virginia. He ranks fifth nationally in rushing yards per game right now with 116.6. Carson, he wasn't the certified starter until what, week four? He is he is a very serious candidate now to win the Doak Walker Award. He has won uh, the Doak Walker Weekly Award twice now this season. He's the only running back to win it twice this year. The nation's uh, leading rusher is from Troy. It's Troy's Kamani Vidal is the nation's leading rusher. He's a Group of Five player. The last Group of Five player to win the Doak Walker Award was back when BYU was in the Group of Five in 2001. So it's unlikely, I think, that Troy's Kamani Vidal is going. Uh, to win the Doak Walker Award just because he leads the nation in rushing. So, um, yeah, I think that Ollie Gordon is probably the best running back in the country right now, and I think that there's a good chance that there's some hardware coming to Stillwater at the end of the season. If he stays healthy and continues to touch the ball 25-plus times per game, I mean, uh, who's better than Ollie Gordon, and who's going to be able to stop him? I don't know. Maybe OU has athletes on the defensive line, maybe they're able to push Oklahoma State's offensive line around, but I don't know, man. Oklahoma State has got this thing absolutely cooking right now. Uh, Casey Dunn is, is seemingly in his bag at this moment. He has turned things totally around the, the way his offense looks, the way he's viewed by the fan base. It's all just so much different than it was a month ago, um, and everybody deserves credit. But, yeah, a ton of it just has to go to Ollie Gordon, and I, and I think that right now, He's the leader in the clubhouse for the Doak Walker Award. 
and I don't really see him slowing down. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think Chuba should have won it too, and he didn't get the credit that he deserves. You have to be pretty outstanding somewhere like Oklahoma State. But, I mean, one of the leading contenders is, is Kentucky's running back, Ray Davis. Ollie Gordon uh, has more rushing yards than he does, same number of touchdowns, a little fewer receiving touchdowns. But, yeah, I think he's the best back in the country, and I think that he could very well win that award, especially if Oklahoma State continues to win games uh, and rattles off, what were they, two and two? If they rattle off, I don't know, what is that, eight games left in the season, six or seven of the last eight? Yeah, I think Ollie could win that award. Yeah, I, I think if he keeps doing what he's doing, he's going to be in New York for the Heisman. I think that what hurt Shuba is he went up against a guy named Jonathan Taylor, who was always – who had won the Doak Walker and had was a, you know a nationally recognized name for a national brand like Wisconsin. And just there's only so much room for a running back to make it to New York, and he certainly doesn't have that level of name recognition to go up against this year. But obviously a long way to go. Mike Gundy's saying all the right things about how he needs to stay humble and hungry and all those things. He's an interesting – back you know you and I have thrown out a lot of comparisons for him I think one that I really like is Le'Veon Bell a, a taller back who was able to receive the ball and more more so than anything it's the way he was able to kind of glide across the the back end of an offensive line and find a hole and then hit the then hit the Jets I like that one a lot but I wanted to run this one past you and you might have to pull YouTube while I talk because uh <laughs> These are from back in the day, and it's from an NFL Hall of Famer. This comes from a listener, Kevin Elias Gonzalez, from his dad, hashtag olds. How about OJ Simpson? And we're talking strictly football here. Uh, Hall of Famer, obviously, uh, Heisman Trophy winner from USC. I really like this one a lot, Colby, because he's tall. He's powerful like Ollie, but he's got speed. And I think people are underrating Ollie's speed. I hear people on the radio talking about, well, he just – he gets caught a lot. I was like, do you not remember the 75 yarder he had against Iowa state? Like uh, obviously the ones against West Virginia as well. I, I really like that comp a lot with the, the size strength and the speed component. He does not get caught a lot. Let's, let's calm down when he gets caught a lot. He runs away from people too. Uh, I mean, faster defensive backs at times chase him down, but I wouldn't say that he gets caught a lot. Uh, I think that the Le'Veon Bell comparison is a pretty good one. Obviously, Le'Veon was in the NFL. He was a little bit bigger, listed at 6'1", 225. Ollie listed at 6'1", 212. Uh, the juice, yeah, it's been a while since I watched uh, some OJ highlights. He, he's known for some <laughs> other things uh, in my lifetime, certainly. I, I was born in 92, so I don't remember watching OJ run, and that's not what I most associate him with. But uh, I am watching OJ Simpson highlights right now on YouTube, and yeah, that that's not a bad comp. Uh, I had a listener i would like to shout you out let me go to my dms here Paul while, while, while you yeah. look while you look i just want to preface my comp with people think when you make comps like this that you're saying they're as good or better than oj simpson no it's just i'm just comparing styles that's all i'm that's all i'm not saying they're better or you know gonna have a better career nothing like that just stylistically yeah absolutely i um yeah paul enright on twitter shot me a dm and Asked about an Adrian Peterson comparison, which, again, what I told uh, Paul in the DMs and, and what I'll say again here is he has to do it for a lot longer and he has to do it against better competition. But Ollie Gordon, 6'1", 212. Adrian Peterson, 6'1", 217. He does not have, I don't think, the flatline speed that AD had. I mean, look, AD is one of the best, uh, certainly college running backs of all time, and, and he's in that conversation in the NFL, too. Adrian Peterson was unbelievable. Um, and I don't think that Ollie Gordon is quite that. But I don't know. We've only really been watching him for about three weeks. So that's the thing with Ollie. What's the ceiling? I don't know what the ceiling is. We've only been watching him really as the starter, as the undisputed number one bell cow for three weeks. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on Ollie Gordon 
leading this team where they want to go. Um, he's your best player. He, he's got to touch the ball 25-plus times a game the rest of the way. If you can get a big lead against, I don't know, a Cincinnati, a Houston, a BYU, then maybe you rest him a little bit. Maybe he gets 15 touches in one of those games if you're able to do that. Uh, but if you need to give the ball to him 30 times, give the ball to him 30 times and go win games. Yeah, I mean, I get the measurables on height and weight with Adrian Peterson, but Adrian was a legit 4-3 guy. Like, he, <laughs> those don't come around very often at that size, and I don't think always quite as explosive, but he certainly is proven to be, you know, every bit as productive if he continues this this stretch that he's had. But interesting comps, um, really fascinating game this weekend against Cincinnati. Oklahoma State is what a ten point favorite. Is that what you're seeing, Colby? Seven and a half is what I saw. Oh, see, I, t- I Vegas is a little slow to get on board. I would have set that line at ten and a half personally. Um, but you know, Cincinnati, Colby is a team. You know, when the Big Twelve merged the way it has, we we really didn't know what we were going to get from the newbies. And Cincinnati had a good road win against Pitt second week of the year, and since then they've lost five straight, including an overtime loss to Miami of Ohio. So they're they're struggling. It's homecoming. You you got to think this matchup sets up really well for Oklahoma State. And you throw in the fact that they're facing quarterback Emory Jones. That name might sound familiar. He's kind of had an odyssey of a career. He started at Florida, transferred to Arizona State. Now he's at Cincinnati, and uh, he he can run the football a little bit, but by no means is is a threat. Too bad in the in the passing game. He's got eight interceptions on the year. That's doubled up Alan Bowman. Um. 1,400 yards, 61 completion percentage. But I think this game sets up pretty well for Oklahoma State going against a quarterback that they've, one, already faced uh, in recent history, and, two, just the fact that Cincinnati's coming into this game in Stillwater on homecoming. Yeah, and Cincinnati's reeling. I, I just – I really don't think that this is going to be that great of a game, and I know just as soon as I get confident is when it's going to turn around and go the other way. But tomorrow night in Stillwater at kickoff, it's going to be 48 degrees. There's 50% chance of rain. It's going to be raining in warm-ups, 10-mile-an-hour north breeze. Like, that just sets up so well for Ollie to touch the ball 30 times and absolutely torch Cincinnati on the ground. And I just don't think that Cincinnati has enough. I mean, they're not a good team. They're, they're bad. They hung with Oklahoma early in the year that 20 to 6 loss the game was probably a little bit closer to that than that Cincinnati got into the red zone a number of times in that game and couldn't score in the inside the red zone against Oklahoma so uh after starting the season with a drop putting 66 on Eastern Kentucky and then beating Pittsburgh in week two it's been an absolute train wreck since and I don't think that Cincinnati can keep up with Oklahoma State in any form and fa- former fashion uh, I do think Vegas is a little bit behind on this line at seven and a half I mean, that being said, Cincinnati's got the juice a little bit on their side at minus 113. So I, I don't know. Maybe maybe we're overvaluing what we've seen from Oklahoma State recently and from Cincinnati, but I just think Oklahoma State's a much better football team right now. Uh, I don't think that that Scott Satterfield is going to have enough um, to, to really compete tomorrow night in Stillwater. I think the atmosphere is going to be crazy in that cold, and I just think it's, it's set up really well for Oklahoma State to get a big win uh, on the eve of Bedlam. Are you concerned about the defense at all? You mentioned, you know, they've continually gotten beat deep, particularly at the safety position. I know they're young. I know they have a new uh, coordinator, new scheme, all of those things. Um, Turnovers have really boosted Oklahoma State's wins the last few weeks. But are you still concerned about getting beat deep on the back end, even if it is facing Emory Jones? 
Uh, I'm not concerned this week against Cincinnati. I'm very concerned that Dylan Gabriel is going to throw it over their head a bunch of times. I'm not concerned that Emory Jones is going to do that. I just, again, I think that this is a bad matchup for, uh, for pardon me, for Cincinnati. I think that they're going to try to run the ball a lot with Corey Kiner and Emory Jones. Uh, I think Oklahoma State has done a pretty good job at the line of scrimmage. Really, the, the only problem Oklahoma State's had, they just, they keep letting guys get behind them. There, there's guys deep open a lot this season against Oklahoma State's defense. I don't think Emory Jones is good enough to take advantage of that. He's completing a little more than 61% of his passes this year, but that's not on a ton of attempts. Uh, just an average number of attempts, I would say. And 13 touchdowns to eight interceptions. He's taking 14 sacks on the season. I think Oklahoma State's defense is going to get after him a little bit. I, I really think Oklahoma State's going to run away from him tomorrow. I think this is going to be a game that, as great as the Oklahoma State fan base has been, I think we're going to see some people in that cold start to roll out at the start of the fourth quarter because Oklahoma State's going to be ahead by I, I, at least three touchdowns. I think Oklahoma State is going to absolutely roll Cincinnati tomorrow night. Well, the one thing, the one caveat here is, you know, turnovers. Obviously, that's such a cliche when it comes to, you know, if you win the turnover battle, you're going to win the game. I understand all those things. But, you know, turnovers have really plagued Cincinnati. Uh, they've had two in each of the last four losses and uh, the five-game losing streak that they've had. And Oklahoma State has had eight takeaways in the last three weeks. So if the, if the takeaways shore up for Oklahoma State, then I think the game could certainly be closer. But I think you got to give Oklahoma State credit for forcing those. A lot of those were just really good defense and really, you know, playmaking by their their secondary guys with this three three five. And that's I think this three three five is designed to do just that. It's to to cloud up the the secondary and confuse the quarterback. And that's what they've done. So that that's the one area that if they don't get any turnovers in this game, I think it could be a closer game. But I think there's a reason why Cincinnati turns it over so much and why OSU forces as many as they do. Uh before we get to the uniform preview how astonished are you that the offensive line has played as well as it has? And I think you can throw in Casey Dunn. He did a lot of really good things that that red zone touchdown to Brennan Presley was very much, you know, Miami dolphins esque that we had talked about in previous weeks, but just how, how surprised are you? Cause Ollie Gordon's playing great. And I've, I've been championing him as the reason why their offensive line looks better is you got a running back that, that knows what he's doing and knows how to make plays. But just your your level of surprise at how big of a turnaround this has been on the on those on that side of the ball. Yeah, pretty shocking. And and obviously Ollie helps that some. And that just makes defenses have to worry about other things. Bowman's playing well, Presley's playing well. But those guys up front have done a really good job over the last month. And this was a line in September that we were looking at and we were saying the same thing, right? I mean, we were we were firing everybody in se in September. We were talking about how long it's going to take to rebuild that position group. And it, it just seems like they fixed it. Dalton Cooper has done a great job since he's been slotted in. Uh, Jake Springfield, since he's gotten healthy and gotten back out there, he's been great. And the offensive line looks as good as I think any offensive line has looked at Oklahoma State since, um, I don't know, probably since Chuba led the nation in rushing, maybe since Mason's final year when they were decent, not great. But this offensive line has had a turnaround that I didn't see coming. So uh, Casey Dunn, credit. Charlie Dickey, credit. Those guys have done whatever needed to be done. They've pushed the exact right buttons to get Oklahoma State to maximize everything that it has. I just, I really, I, I keep saying I can't believe where we are now from where we came in September, but I can believe it. it it's just, they, they didn't pick their quarterback at the end of August. They picked him at the end of September. They didn't pick their running back at the end of August. They picked him at the end of September. Uh, they didn't tackle a lot in practice in August. They started tackling a lot in practice at the end of September and things have come together and you know, again, I think that they got a lot of things wrong at the end of August, and I think that they got everything right at the end of September, and we're seeing 
the two results of all of those choices from the coaching staff. The result in September was a just failure and the result in October has been unbelievable success. So um, yes, as harsh as we were on them in September, that is as much praise as should be lobbed on them now because they, instead of just digging themselves a deeper hole, trying to continue doing what they were doing and talking about players executing and this and that, they just changed what they were doing and it has worked 10 out of 10, five stars um, could not be any more pleased with what Oklahoma state has football has looked like in the month of October. Yeah, and I think Mahalski, Cooper, Brooks, those guys along the offensive line have just – they've stayed healthy and they've gotten better. Uh, I think they've really settled into the positions they're playing now, and that's that's a testament to – Dickie and Dunn have, have coached really well the last few weeks. you got to give them a lot of credit for that. And and I just – I can't stand when people, like, when OSU starts winning again, they, they act like we wanted to, like, truly just – they think they think we just want everyone – everything to burn, and that OSU football just – we. They think we like get pleasure out of that. And it's just, it's a joke. This is big boy college football. This is multi, multi, multi million dollar business. And with that comes analysis and criticism. And if you're not doing a good enough job, that's part of it. And I think Gundy even spoke to, you know, everybody wanted to S can us, uh, meaning the offensive line, because we weren't playing good. Well, now look at us. Well, Mike, you weren't doing a very good job then. And you lost to South Alabama. You got run off the field against South Alabama, in which Ollie Gordon had three carries. Now, Mike has said he did a bad job. Uh, we're moving on. But it's I, I get a little tired of the criticism to any criticism. And it's all the – it's the Johnny-come-lately super fans that act like you're not, quote-unquote, loyal and true if you say anything negative ever. And I just, I just had to get that off my chest. Yeah, I feel that. I, I take it for what it is. Um, it, it's people who don't want to hear the bad things whenever there are bad things to be said. Somebody called us flip floppers because I mean, God forbid at the end of September, we said that this team was bad and that this coaching staff had done a horrible job. And then now in October, we're like, Oh my God, this team is good. This coaching staff has done an amazing job in the month of October. And that makes us flip floppers. Well, then the team is flip floppers because they were bad in September. They were great in October. We're just, we're, we're trying to tell you what we see here and what we think. And we, we watch these games from a perspective of what's going right, what's going wrong. And then we just try to, to give a voice to that. And the things that we say here are the conversations that I have with people on Twitter, through text message, in the stadium, at the golf course. It's just Everybody knew what it was in September and everybody recognizes just how unbelievable the turnaround has been. The criticism was valid and now the praise is deserved. Both can be true. Uh, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. If you thought the team was bad in September, you don't have to stick with that take for the rest of the season. If you thought that the coaching <laughs> staff needed turnover at the end of September, you don't have to stick to that opinion after they have had the greatest turnaround that we've seen in probably any season at Oklahoma State. As Things change, opinions change. New information breeds new opinions. Um, yeah, I, I, I take the criticism for what it is, and it, it probably bothered me more when I was younger. But now I get it, and I understand where some fans come from. Um, and, you know, it, it just it is what it is. But uh, I think most people appreciate the analysis that we give and the way that we break things down. And uh, I look forward to seeing some of the listeners tomorrow in 215. We've got several listeners in our section. It's always funny. And my wife makes fun of me whenever I'll just be talking to, to her, to my dad in the section. And then somebody turns around and they're like, are you, are you Colby Powell? Do you host the podcast? Because people listen so much. They hear our voices so much and people really feel like, like they know us from us just 
talking about our lives and, and talking about football on these podcasts. And it's really cool to have those conversations with people. So I'm looking forward to getting back in the stadium tomorrow after I wasn't able to be there for Kansas. Your voice is pretty unmistakable. That's another thing. My voice, I've been told, is very unique. I've listened back to it, obviously, on podcasts, <laughs> and I do think that I have a pretty standout voice. So when somebody turns around and gives me that look, I can see it on their face, and I know what they're about to ask me. And I'm like, yes, I, I am the, the guy with the distinct voice sitting two rows behind you. Yep, that would be Colby. Uh, you can't miss him. Uh, let's get to the Chris's University Spirit Uniform Preview, brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris University Spirit. Dot com. I'm sure place is going to be packed on on uh, Saturday for homecoming. It's a night game, so get there early. Stop by Chris's. It's it's right where you want to be, right over there by by Hideaway. You know you want to stop by there. It's right around the corner from Eskimo Joe's. So if you're going to town for homecoming, be sure to stop by Chris's. Tell them we sent you, and uh, we appreciate Chris's sponsoring the podcast as, as always. All right, Colby, homecoming typically means a throwback type helmet. What uh, uniform combination are you picking? You know, I think that they're going to go orange tops. I thought about black since it's a night game, but I just think for homecoming that they're going to go with the orange. I can't decide if they're going to go. I think they might go all orange. This team is rolling right now. Bedlam's next week. You're not going to wear all orange for Bedlam. I think next week for Bedlam is probably going to be the black shirts, um, white Curse of Cowboys helmets, something like that. I think I think tomorrow night for Cincinnati, I think we could see an all orange with the throwback helmets. And I'm kind of a fan of the one color, just top to bottom uniforms, the all blacks, the all whites, the all orange. I like it. I know last week you were probably um, just foaming at the mouth over the tricolor, <laughs> but I think tomorrow is going to be all orange in Stillwater. Well, I don't like all tricolors, but but black, white, orange, as I, as I told Marshall last week, is probably one of my favorite. It's the most like OSU uniform. It has all three colors that they wear and the three best pieces that they wear uh, typically. So I, I love those, but I'm going to go. I, I was really tempted to go white, black, white with a, a black old school brand. You know, the, the real, the, the one they wore in the eighties, seventies, sixties that on then, but you know, they, now that they have this new uniform, you know, cause they, they used to have the throwback helmet with like the modern up to date Oregon type jerseys and pants and didn't quite look great. Now with his current uniform, it's going to look fantastic. It's just going to look like a throwback uniform from the eighties from Thurman Thomas era. And so I think they're just going white, orange, white, like they did against Texas when they had corn dog and Tywin Wallace with the, the old school brand. So with the orange brand on it. So white, orange, white tradition, homecoming. Uh, I think this is probably the most confident I've been in a pick this year. Uh, yeah, I love that. I love that. If they went white, orange, white, I might prefer that to the all oranges. I think that the all oranges look really good, but a white, orange, white with the throwbacks would look really good. So um we will see we will see tomorrow night in Stillwater I hope it's a packed house I would imagine it will be homecoming is always a big deal we had planned to do walk around tonight and homecoming tomorrow night we looked at the weather we decided taking the the one and a half year old in that on back-to-back nights would be a little tough also I did just get back from Scotland last night so my body clock is a little bit off um and I didn't want to be out late two nights in a row and in the cold but we will be there tonight tomorrow night in the rain layered up it will probably feel like the final day in scotland it was the last day which was match play on the old course it was probably 45 degrees with a 20 mile an hour north wind coming in directly off the north sea and about every 20 minutes it would spit rain sideways at us for like 10 minutes and it would go away 
We'd have 20 minutes with no rain, just cold wind, and then boom, 10 minutes sideways rain spitting at us. I had to get on the shuttle like an hour after I finished on Wednesday, so I had to go upstairs, get all my wet clothes into plastic bags so that I could get them packed, change into dry clothes, so all, all my stuff was soaked. But uh, I would imagine it might be something similar tomorrow night in Stillwater. Yep, I'd imagine so. Uh, let's get to the toast of the week brought to you by Yingling, America's oldest brewery. And I'm going to keep talking about the flight. It's a uh, 4.2% alcohol, 95 calories, 2.6 carbs. It just beats Michelob Ultra over the head. Uh, my wife loves these, Colby. So for all our lady listeners out there, I know that we have plenty of those as well. Uh, check out the flight from Yingling. It is, you know, more healthy, less, less carbs, all that, less calories. And man, it, it's actually flavorful. It doesn't taste like the watered down, you know, typically ultralight beers that, that we're kind of used to and just kind of have to accept, you know, when we're on the golf course and whatnot. So pick up a flight, uh, check out Yingling, find the nearest location where you can pick it up. And uh, we appreciate Yingling sponsoring the podcast. The flight is the next generation of light beer. And I believe it because they are fantastic. I find myself going back to those more and more. So who are you toasting this week, Colby? Uh, honorary toast to Marshall Scott for filling in for me earlier this week whenever uh, we could not make anything work and I hadn't been able to watch the game over in Scotland. And then I've got a toast of the week, Carson, for the TCU Horned Frogs. Do you have any idea why I might be throwing TCU out as a toast of the week? Um, Is it because they changed their signals and laid the smack down on Michigan? Yes, that is exactly what it is. Michigan is out here stealing signs to get past the likes of Rutgers, and they tried to do it against TCU. TCU gave them dummy signals, and Michigan looked like dummies over there trying to stop TCU, and they got beat in the college football playoff, so they didn't get a national title in the season in which they were stealing signals, and now in the following season, they got caught stealing signals, and that presumably is going to come with some sort of punishment. This is just fantastic harbaugh is just so smug with his little grin over there on the sideline and he's just i just i don't like jim harbaugh i'm not a big fan of michigan uh i don't like the way they do things i I don't like the way that they try to win games and tcu duping them in the way they did um well done tcu toast of the week to our friends down south in fort worth well i'm going a similar similar direction uh, because I, I quote tweeted the story about TCU changing their signs. And to me, Colby, it's become rather apparent how Jim Harbaugh went from averaging 3.6 losses during his first six years to losing three total the past three years. I think he's lost one conference game over that span. And it's because of this. I mean, that, Michigan, and don't, don't tell me that Harbaugh's just recruited better and they have more talent. You go through their, their NFL draft pick history. They've had the same dudes they've always had. And so my toast, a flight beer of Yingling, is to Connor Stallions, the guy who had to steal signals, because he had to sit down and watch 30 Big Ten games. And Colby, the worst, I have the list in front of me here. This is the type of football that young Connor Stallions had to record, visit, snoop his way around. The worst Power 5 scoring offenses in college football so far this year, Arizona State, Indiana. Nebraska, Michigan State, Iowa, Northwestern, Minnesota, Illinois, Stanford, Purdue, Iowa State. Now that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Big Ten schools. Does that tell you anything about how bad their offenses are? Because I don't want to hear about 
how good their defensive talent is. You think you think Illinois is running around running around a bunch of first round draft picks on defense? No. You think Indiana is, Nebraska, Michigan State? No, 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 no. It's bad football. So Connor Stallions, you're in a lot of trouble, but hopefully you can wash it down uh, with a flight because you had to watch some really bad, bad, bad offensive football. Carson, can you imagine needing to steal Indiana's signs? <laughs> I mean, Iowa, the Nebraska, Michigan State. This is what Jim Harbaugh is risking it all for to stop those offenses. You can't just stop those offenses. Everybody stops those offenses. It's unbelievable that they would even. I mean, the amount of risk that you're taking on to do something so stupid and so just truly unnecessary. If this was like a one-time-a-year thing and they had somebody out there spying on Ohio State, you know what I would say? I get it. I get it. It's been it's been a long, hard rivalry. You've lost some of those games. You, you need a leg up. You're trying, you're trying to cheat to get that leg up. Like, I kind of get it. Nebraska, Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, Michigan State, Rutgers. No, 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 no. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. It's so bad. And like, it just, just as a layman watching Michigan over the, the years, it was a stark difference that just all of a sudden they start pounding Ohio state, start winning all their games as opposed to losing three or four. I mean, Harbaugh lost like at least four in most of his first six years. So that that's no coincidence for me. And I, I hope, but we all know they're, they're not going to get any punishment. I mean, that's just NCAA is powerless. They know it. They're not going to do anything. So I'm not really holding my breath. I wonder, um, does Oklahoma State have any connections to Michigan? I'm wondering how the NCAA can tie that to Oklahoma State. Les Miles, Michigan There man. you go. There you go. That's the connection. We should be on the uh, lookout for the NCAA to drop Oklahoma State's punishment for Michigan sign stealing. They're going to vacate the two Bedlam wins from Les. <laughs> oh, that's good that's stuff. that's what they're going to do. Are we done talking about football? Are we ready to talk about baseball now or what? Well, let's give our picks for the game. It sounds like you're picking OSU going away against Cincinnati. That's right. I already told everybody I was picking a blowout, so I forgot we have to give our picks. Yeah, I think Oklahoma State's going to roll them. I really do. I, I don't think that Cincinnati is the team that can beat Oklahoma State over the top, which is how Oklahoma State has been getting beat. The weather is not going to be conducive to that tomorrow either. Oklahoma State is just absolutely on a roll. Cincinnati's a bad football team. They have to come to Stillwater on homecoming in front of what's going to be a raucous crowd at night in the cold, in the rain. Oklahoma State's going to be fired up. This is one last game before Bedlam. The The only way you could talk me into Cincinnati being competitive here is that maybe this is a trap game as you look ahead to Bedlam and Oklahoma State turns it over three times. Cincinnati plays a clean game and all of a sudden it's a one-score game in the fourth. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think Oklahoma State is going to jump on them early uh, just like they have the last couple of weeks. And I, I think Oklahoma State's going to roll them. I'll pick it. Mm, let's go 38 to... 16 Oklahoma State 38 16 Oklahoma State wins wow we're really close I mean this is the definition of a trap game but I think what really really helps is the fact this game is on homecoming OSU really plays well at home feeding off that crowd energy they've won six of their last seven homecoming games nine of their last 11 uh, the most recent loss was that that Baylor performance when Spencer fumbled you remember the the fumble recovery for a touchdown but I, I think if this were any other spot at home, I'd be more concerned. I just think that the homecoming really brings the energy from the, both the team and the fans. So I, I'm with you. I don't think they're going to have any answers for, for Ollie Gordon. Uh, no one has yet. I certainly don't think Cincinnati will, although 
Mike Gundy did compliment them, saying they're the best defensive line they will have played, and I do I do agree with that. So maybe a, a lot more of their damage comes through the air to the Brennan Presleys of the world. But I just think this defense too is very is proving to be very opportunistic. I think they're going to give up some big plays again, but I think Emory Jones is more prone to interceptions than any quarterback really they, they've faced so far. So I'm picking big. I almost took my exact score. I was going 38-20. I think they hit a deep shot or two. But more of the same, more turnovers to the defense, and I think Ollie Gordon and and Brennan Presley had big days. So I, I think it, I think OSU wins this one really comfortably, and I think it really sets up Colby a bedlam that I just wanted to like blindfold myself and plug my ears that whole week and pretend the game didn't happen. Considering it's the last one, I thought OU could score eighty on them after watching OU early in the year and an OSU early in the season, but man. Uh, they they win against Cincinnati. It sets up a monumental bedlam, the last one we're going to see for a long time. Yeah, it does. At, at the end of September, um, I was prepared to be very sick next week, sore throat, lost my voice, couldn't talk, might have to have Marshall fill in for me, and now <laughs> I'm just so geeked for the last bedlam. Even if Oklahoma State loses it, it's entirely possible, but going into it, like the amount of hype that's going to be built around that game, the atmosphere in that stadium if that game is close at all, I mean, there are going to be earthquakes in Stillwater if that game is close and a big play gets made at any moment by Oklahoma State. I'm just, I'm so ready for that one. I hope Oklahoma State does not lay an egg tomorrow. I don't think they will. Even if they do, I'll still be fired up for Bedlam. Th- this team has given me hope. Um, what's what's the famous saying, Michael Scott saying, I'm ready to get hurt again. I am absolutely ready to get hurt again. And if Oklahoma State could somehow pull that off next Saturday in the last one and spoil this season for Oklahoma, it would just be, um, I mean, I've had some great moments of my life in Boone Pickens Stadium with Bedlam wins 2011. That was the first game that I attended with my, my girlfriend, my now wife. Uh, 2021, that game was unbelievable. And now next weekend is just going to be unbelievable. So if Oklahoma State can get that done, it will probably reside at the top of experiences that I've had in that stadium. So um, I'm getting ahead of myself, way ahead of myself. But yeah, I'm very ready for next week. Well, and I'm curious to see how you plays up at Kansas because I, I mentioned they skirted by UCF. They had a fantastic win, obviously, against Texas in a rivalry game. Perhaps their most impressive win was beating the brakes off Iowa State, who all of a sudden looks very competent and playing much better football, much like Kansas State and Oklahoma State. But they, Cincinnati hung around with them. SMU really hung around with them in Norman. Uh, so I, I don't think, like, while Oklahoma is clearly, obviously, way more improved defensively, and I think their offense is even better than it was a year ago, they're still not the juggernaut they've been during Mike Gundy's tenure, and especially at the running back position. Can you name a time, Colby, when Oklahoma State had the better running back room? I would say, I, I was going to say running back, period, but running back room than Oklahoma because I'd put Ollie and Nixon and, and Collins up against o- – OU doesn't have a bell cow. This is the worst running back room OU's had that I can remember. I mean, you just go through it. I mean, they've had they've had stud on stud on stud, and that's been the biggest reason they're able to win those games. They they're not very good at running the football, and that's been their bread and butter in winning Bedlam is just pounding them up, up the gut with their their running game. So it, it's far less of an intimidating Oklahoma team than we've seen, but that didn't help them much last year either. Yeah, no, they're they're still a good football team, but no, I, I think that they're absolutely scared of Ollie Gordon. They they are. They're scared of Ollie Gordon and. 
they would flip their running back room for hours in a heartbeat. And that's just not something that you can say very often between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's had great running backs over the years, but so has Oklahoma. And Oklahoma's been deeper at that position than Oklahoma State has. But right now, yeah, Oklahoma State with with Ollie Nixon and even Collins, yeah, they're, they've got a much better room than Oklahoma does. I, I do still worry a little bit. I know we're, we're kind of diving into a bedlam preview here now. I still worry a little bit. It's strength on weakness. Dylan Gabriel has thrown the ball pretty well down the field this year, and Oklahoma State mm-hmm. has gotten beat a lot behind them over their heads. But you never know. First Saturday in November, weather could be a factor. It's in Stillwater. You just you never know. And, yeah, Ollie Gordon is absolutely going to be the scariest player on that field. Yep, styles make fights. On the flip side, OU is very, very good at stopping the run. And you mentioned it, the, the deep shots. It's it's a bit of a bad matchup in, in, in those terms. But first things first, Oklahoma State's got to take care of Cincinnati. Colby, enjoy your time up in Stillwater. I'll let uh, I'll let people know on Twitter if I'm making it up there. I'll let you know as well. And uh should be a fun weekend. Enjoy. Yes, it should. Rangers game one tonight. Carson, do you care about baseball yet? Are we there? Man, I, I kind of feel bad for your Rangers that they have to play the Diamondbacks. Like, I don't think anyone's going to watch. I mean, this is like, what, the, the least interesting World Series matchup? In a long time? Uh, it depends. I mean, the Diamondbacks are certainly not a fan favorite. I am curious to see for so long it's just been the Astros and the Dodgers and the Astros and the Dodgers and the Phillies <laughs> and the Astros and the Dodgers. And now it's something different. So, I mean, forever it was just LeBron and Steph in the finals. And then finally we got something different this year with the Heat and the Nuggets. And people watched that and people loved it. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see what the ratings are. But I don't care if nobody watches. I don't care if I'm the only house in the United States uh, that watches the World Series. If Texas can get it done, it will make up for some of that pain that was delivered to me in 2011. I was on a flight yesterday from London back to Dallas, and our section of the plane ended up, I'm talking like seven or eight of us in this one section of the plane ended up kind of standing up at one point when you've got like nine and a half hours to kill, just having a conversation about the Rangers, about the World Series, (laughs) about the matchup with the Diamondbacks. So uh, around the country, nationally, I would imagine this matchup doesn't do a lot for a lot of people, but regionally for the Diamondbacks and the Rangers, people are fired up and I, I can't wait. This team is fun. And from when we finish recording, we've got about three and a half hours to go. That's another reason not going to homecoming tonight. Uh, the baby's the main reason, but I'm not watching game two tomorrow since I'm going to be in Stillwater. Really want to watch game one tonight and watch Nathan Valdi get that first dub. So I'm fired up, Carson. Baseball was my first love. My Rangers are back after a decade of taking. They're the Cinderella story. Um, playing against another Cinderella story. So, yes, I'm very ready for World Series Game 1. Well, in 2021, and this is what's really great about the sport of baseball. You can be horrible and turn it around really quickly. Because in 2021, Arizona lost 110 games. And in 2021, the Texas Rangers lost 102. And so that that's remarkable. That's It's unbelievable that both teams have, have turned it around like that. And I think it's really cool for people in Oklahoma, you know, for so long, Oklahoma city was the affiliate of the Texas Rangers. That's why there's so many Rangers fans here. It's obviously the closest to the Oklahoma city Metro as well. So it's, um, it's pretty cool that, you know, kind of a local team has, has turned it around the way they have and, and really two franchises that, you know, were lost hundred games just a few years ago. Yep. I'm fired up for that. I'm fired up for homecoming. Everybody have a great weekend. Be safe. It's going to be cold. It's going to be wet. There will be people drinking. Uh, Have your yinglings. Have them responsibly. Don't drive if you've been drinking. Everybody be safe this weekend. Have a great time. As always, thanks for listening. Go Pokes!